Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Clark Hilton Engineering, and Dan Rice has given up the use of his office for the sake of the cause. Today on the program, we're going to share with you in the second hour, the Christian Outlook. Kevin McCullough is going to talk with KT McFarland. She was President Trump's first deputy national security advisor. She's going to offer an update on Israel and the broader Middle East. Eric Metaxas will talk with Vadi Bakum, uh, the author of Fault Lines, the Social Justice Movement and Evangelicalism's Looming Catastrophe, and Bob Burney, who happens to be a pastor. He'll talk about a recent decision from the U.S. Supreme Court that seems to indicate the court isn't as divided as we may have been led to believe. That's coming up in the second hour of today's program. In the first hour, however, we're going to take a look at some of the day's headlines and the lighter side of the news. James Blend will join me for that, so I'm looking forward to it. Before we get started, I do want to remind you that Alistair Begg has just released a new book titled Brave by Faith. In this relevant book, he takes a candid look at society's growing intolerance of biblical beliefs as secularism is gaining popularity. He challenges all of us to consider how we'll respond when pressured to go along with the flow, and we will be pressured to go along with the flow, rather than obey God and stay faithful to his commandments. Now, Brave by Faith follows the story of Daniel and his friends while they are exiled in Babylon, and Alistair draws from the many similarities during that time and our world today. There's much to learn about how Daniel stayed faithful when the entire Babylonian culture was against him. And you can order Brave by Faith from Alistair Begg for any gift amount at truthforlife.com. Again, truthforlife.com. Well, taking a look at some of the day's news, uh, Oregon Governor Kate Brown said Clackamas County is poised to pass the 65% vaccination threshold, likely by today, and is going to move to the high risk, uh, I should say from the high risk, to the lower risk COVID-19 category as soon as they do. Well, the governor made the announcement during a COVID briefing today. Any county in Oregon can move to the lower risk level once 65% of its residents have received at least one dose of the vaccine, and the county has submitted an equity plan outlining how the county plans to close equity gaps in its vaccination efforts. Well, Clackamas County submitted its equity plan to the state on the 28th of May, so that's covered. Now just reaching that threshold of 65% which apparently they're likely to reach today. Well, moving to lower risk allows counties to significantly uh, reduce their COVID-19 restrictions. The lower risk level allows a maximum of 50% capacities indoors at restaurants, theaters, gyms, and other indoor entertainment spaces. It also expands uh, retail store capacity to 75%. Now, the governor praised the county's health leaders for their efforts to increase the number of residents to receive the vaccine. Clackamas County administered 1,000-plus vaccines to homebound residents and worked with all 10 of their school districts to bring the vaccine directly to students and families, the governor tweeted. Well, according to the Oregon Health Authority, 93,234 more Oregonians, 18 and older, need to get the vaccine to reach the governor's 70% vaccination goal statewide for lifting most COVID restrictions. As of today, 1,991,717,000 people in the state have completed a COVID-19 vaccine series. There are 2,303,483 people uh, who have had at least one dose. Well, there have been 204,291 known cases of COVID-19 in Oregon, and 2,700 Oregonians have died 
from COVID-19. So we are approaching, uh, for those who choose the vaccine, we're approaching the governor's threshold for lifting many of the um, restrictions that have been in place for many, many months. And other news, Vice President Kamala Harris had a tense exchange with Univision anchor Ilya Calderon on Tuesday over when she will visit the southern border. Well, during the interview, Calderon pressed the vice president, who was assigned by President Biden to handle a border crisis, uh, on how she herself has yet to make it down to the U.S.-Mexico border to see the migrant crisis in person. I've said I'm going to the border, the vice president told the anchor, and I When are you going to the border, Vice President? Calderon interrupted, asking during the remote conversation. I'm not finished, the Vice President interjected, along with a brief chuckle, which is what she does when she's a bit nervous. I've said I'm going to the border, and also, uh, if we are going to deal with the problems at the border, we have to deal with the problems that cause people to go to the border, to flee to the border. So my first trip as Vice President of the United States was to go in terms of a foreign trip to Guatemala, to be on the ground there, to address and to be informed of the root causes, why are the people of Guatemala leaving, end quote. Well, do you have a date for your trip to the border? Calderon continued. I will keep you posted, the vice president replied. It's been 70 days since she was given the appointment of overseeing the challenge, the crisis, if you will, along the southern border. Uh, And the vice president has yet to visit there. Well, the vice president, excuse me, I said 70 days, 79 days without a visit to the border. America Ferrara, she has uh, mocked the vice president over her U.S. migrants comments. And Daryl Issa, he invites the vice president to visit the California-Mexico border. Laura Trump, she ripped Kamala Harris, the vice president, for the absolute disaster interview on the border crisis. Well, the Trump Justice Department seized the records of Representative Adam Schiff and other House Democrats as it searched for leakers. The Department of Justice under former President Donald Trump subpoenaed data from Apple belonging to a pair of House Democrats and at least a dozen people with ties to them as it looked into leaks of classified information, according to The New York Times. The records pulled include... Uh, included those of Representative Adam Schiff, a Democrat from California, who was the ranking Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee at the time. The Times reported, citing committee officials and two other people briefed on the inquiry. At least one other Democrat on the House Intelligence Committee and at least 12 individuals with ties to the committee had their records pulled in 2017 and 2018, sources told the outlet. Well, on Thursday night, U.S. Representative Eric Swalwell told uh, CNN that his data had been seized as part of that probe. And while the records did not uh, link any members of the committee to the leaks, three sources told the Times that then-Attorney General William Barr directed that the Schiff-related investigation continue. The Justice Department was also said to have obtained a gag order preventing Apple from alerting lawmakers. Those orders recently expired. The investigations were an attempt to identify individuals who leaked classified national security information during Trump's administration. In other developments, conservative House Republican leaders are meeting with uh, President Trump, former President Trump, to chart the GOP's future. And the House GOP re-election arm is posting a record-breaking April fundraising haul. An eighth-grade girl blasted the Virginia school board for a policy that would allow boys into girls' locker rooms. A 14-year-old in Virginia is speaking out about what she sees as a sexist move by Loudoun County Public Schools to allow boys into girls' locker rooms. The policy followed a previous one, 1040, that committed the county to providing 
an equitable, safe, and inclusive working environment, regardless of sexual orientation, gender identity, and other individual characteristics. The more recent proposed policy, 8350, states in the draft that students should be allowed to use the facility that corresponds to their gender identity, end quote. Well, at Tuesday's school board meeting, Jolene Grover was wearing a shirt that read, women are... uh, Woman is female, argued two years ago, I was told policy 1040 was just an umbrella philosophy and you weren't going to allow boys into the girls' locker room. But here you are doing just that. Well, Grover is an eighth grader whose mom pulled her out of the LCPS schools last year after seeing various controversial policies emerging. She's currently homeschooled. Everyone knows what a boy is, even you, she added, looking up at the board members. Your proposed policies are dangerous and rooted in sexism. When woke's kids uh, asked me if I was a lesbian or a trans boy because I cut my hair short, it should tell you these modern identities are superficial. Well, good for this 14-year-old speaking to the school board. In other developments, a Virginia mom who survived the Maoist China eviscerates the school board's critical race theory push. And a teacher confronted the Loudoun County School Board's apparent progressive agenda in a fiery speech saying this isn't over. And an army of moms are leading the charge against critical race theory in the Virginia schools. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. In the uh, final two segments of our first hour, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news. And in the five o'clock hour, our second hour here on the Georgine Rice Show, we'll share with you the Christian outlook. So stay with us. I should mention that James will also join me uh, in the second half of this hour as we take a look at the lighter side of the news. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the CDC is holding an emergency meeting on heart inflammation in young males after a COVID-19 shot. Taxpayer-funded NPR is mocking capitalism, prompting calls to defund the media outlet. TCU plans to drop freshmen to use first-year student, drawing mixed reactions. The first fully vaccinated cruise in North America reports two passengers test positive for COVID-19. And California state regulators reverse their um, controversial workplace mask rule. Medicare co-pays for the new controversial Alzheimer's drug could soar. Meanwhile, a third member of the U.S. FDA advisory panel has resigned over that Alzheimer's drug's approval. The Florida Board of Education has banned teaching critical race theory The vote was unanimous. From another story, DeSantis noted that state law requires the teaching of slavery, civil rights, and more, and it absolutely should be taught. However, he argued that teachers should not go beyond the historical record and paint a portrait of a rotten nation. Many other states have done the same or are considering doing so. Deutsche Bank warns the U.S. is heading for inflation, a direct result of the Fed's continuing to spend long after stimulus was needed. Well, from the Wall Street Journal, the Labor Department's consumer price index surged 5 percent over um, uh, year over year in May, the largest increase since August of 2008 when oil was one hundred and forty dollars a barrel. But don't worry. Um, the tools to control prices if they start to spiral out of control are there. The Federal Reserve says inflation is transitory. Let us pray under those circumstances. Meanwhile, California has witnessed billions vanish from the state as people bail, taking their wealth with them. President Biden has abandoned the America First policy on his first foreign trip. 
From the story, diplomacy is essential because no single nation acting alone can meet all the challenges we face today because the world is changing, the president said. Our NATO allies have had our backs when it matters, uh, just like we've had theirs when it mattered. And now we need to modernize our alliance, investing in our critical infrastructure, our cyber capabilities, and to keep us secure against every threat we face over the last decade and the new challenges we're about to face as well, end quote. Congresswoman Tlaib has insisted it's bigotry to point out her anti-Semitism. She complained that freedom of speech doesn't exist for Muslim women in Congress. The benefit of the doubt doesn't exist for Muslim women in Congress. House Democratic leadership should be ashamed of its relentless, exclusive tone policing the Congresswomen of color. This is a Twitter uh, feed from Guy Benson responding to the same bigot weighs in plays all the cards. How can leadership refute it since they play the same cynical identity games all the time? Again, Twitter Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez tweeted support for uh, support of another blatant anti-Semite Ilhan Omar claiming the criticism puts her in danger. And also finally on Twitter, a terrified Seth Mandel uh, thread takes on the squad, pointing out how Democrats took a chance talking to them privately about their actions, only to have it backfire. California Governor Newsom fumed as a judge struck down the so-called assault weapons ban there. Governor Newsom called the judge a wholly owned subsidiary of the gun lobby and the National Rifle Association and declared we need to call this federal judge out. He will continue to do damage. Mark my words. Well, Newsom, of course, is facing a recall challenge. Former President Trump is getting vindication in several key areas. A scientific study deems hydroxychloroquine a powerful drug in treating COVID. It is particularly effective for the severely ill. A report found police did not clear Lafayette Park so Trump could hold a Bible in a photo op. And, of course, much of the media now acknowledge there's a good chance the virus began at the Wuhan lab. Well, Texas Governor Abbott has declared we will build our own wall uh, President Biden paused the wall building and helped create a crisis for Texas. A New York City Democratic mayoral candidate won't say if uh, cops should have guns. Asked repeatedly at the debate, Maya Wiley said, I am not prepared to make that decision in a debate. Let's hope she would be prepared to make it if elected. A police officer has been seriously injured because he did not want to use deadly force. From the police tribune, a College Park police officer who was run over and seriously injured by an SUV on Saturday morning said he didn't use lethal force to protect himself because he didn't want to shoot a teenager. From WSB-TV, by the way, that won't get much coverage. WSB-TV uh, says that College Park's interim police chief, Tom... Um, last name I won't uh, mispronounce, says Officer Ivory uh, Morris told him the teen behind the wheel intentionally ran him over. Around the nation, taxpayers are fleeing blue states, taking $26.8 billion in gross income to red states. And a California board has approved a pay raise for Governor Newsom amidst the recall effort. The North Carolina legislature passed the Unborn Protection Act, and former President Trump is calling for the Chinese Communist Party to pay $10 trillion in global reparations. The EU leaders uh, want an unfettered investigation into COVID's origins, and 15 states uh, moved to curb public health agency powers. Uh, has half of COVID, uh, COVID stimulus been stolen? That's a question being asked by the Washington Examiner. And India... Um, records the world's highest daily COVID death total to date. With regard to the economy, amidst rampant inflation, President Biden and G7 leaders are planning to endorse a 15% global minimum tax. 
So you might want to start saving for that. Finally, in a good move, President Biden plans to drop steel tariffs. President Biden in Europe says, I don't want to go home. That's just the sort of thing you want your, uh, your president to say. I think he was trying to be charming, but you get the idea. GOP lawmakers want an FBI investigation into a terror-tied anti-Semitic boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement charity. The Free Beacon reports more details. On this day in history, 1776, the Continental Congress forms a committee to draft a Declaration of Independence calling for freedom from Britain. 1962, three prisoners from Alcatraz in San Francisco Bay stage an escape, leaving the island on a makeshift raft. They would never be found or heard from again, at least not by authorities. 1982, E.T., the extraterrestrial, is released. It would become one of the most beloved films of all times. 1985, Karen Ann Quinlan, the comatose patient whose case prompted an historic right-to-die court decision, dies in Morris Plains, New Jersey, at the age of 31. 1987, on this day in history, Margaret Thatcher becomes the first British prime minister in 160 years to win the third consecutive term of office as her conservatives hold on to a reduced majority in parliament. 2009, with swine flu reported in more than 70 nations, the World Health Organization declares the first global flu pandemic in 41 years. On this day in history, 2019, John Stewart, former host of The Daily Show, rips lawmakers for failing to attend a September 11th Victim Compensation Fund hearing, calling it shameful and a stain on this institution. In other news, if it all goes according to plan, Israel will swear in a new government on Sunday, ending Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's record 12-year rule and a political crisis that inflicted four elections on a country in less than two years. So you can at least be thankful that we've only had the normal uh, election number uh, in this country. The next government, which will be led by the uh, ultra-nationalist Naftali Bennett, has vowed to chart a new course aimed at healing the country's divisions and restoring a sense of normalcy. Anything more ambitious would be courting disaster. The coalition consists of eight parties from across Israel's political spectrum, including a small Arab party that has made history by joining a government for the first time. If uh, even one party bolts, the government uh, would be at serious risk of collapse, and Netanyahu, who intends to stay on as opposition leader, is waiting in the wings. So that's uh, going to happen over this weekend. General Jack Keane talked about major threats as the world leaders met and are meeting today at the G7 summit. He says it seems quite obvious that the major threats to the United States are facing certainly um, with China, which is a rising superpower who is seeking regional and global domination at the expense of Western democracies. And suddenly this great democracy in America, we've got to reemerge in Um, In Russia, who wants to develop their own sphere of influence, particularly among the former Soviet Union states in Eastern Europe and in Southern Europe. And that's why you see this aggressive military expansion, because he, Biden, wants to stop any further uh, alignment with NATO. Also, we've uh, got a very aggressive and maligned Iran, not only seeking nuclear weapons, but seeking domination of the Middle East, using their proxies to achieve that end and having achieved some measure of success in doing that. And I also... I think that we um, have a major domestic security issue with our southern border. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we'll take a look at the lighter side of the news with James Blend. So stay with us. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. However, we're going to look at the lighter side of the news with James Blend, who will join me right now. 
But before he uh, weighs in, I want to let you know that our Father's Day contest continues. If you'd like to help make Father's Day extra special for your dad this year, you can enter our Father's Day giveaway and you could win $1,000 in cash for your dad. And we've made it easy for you to participate. Just go to kpdq.com and enter the keyword father and to increase your opportunity to win you can enter once every day now through the 20th of june plus we're providing you with bonus entries you can earn as well so enter today at kpdq.com the keyword father you know it's it's i say it's one one thing that's a little too bad the big thing missing for it's a great package of, of prizes available which of course I can't win because you know I work for us. But uh, the 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 one thing that's missing that everybody would be you know a better person for having is some Verity artwork, which I hear is on its way for Father's Day. So, oh. um, you know, I don't I don't know what it is yet. I don't know what form it takes. She's being semi secretive, at least to the extent that a six year old so can cute. keep a secret. But yeah. uh, you know, it's like no, there's no giveaway of Verity's artwork. That's that that that's all me, and I'm I'm well, pretty, I think the pretty selfish for with that. It. The reason for that is um, there's a limit on the amount that can be given from a, a radio station. That's and her true. artwork clearly is priceless. priceless. So there you go. Yeah, that, that's got to be How it. do you declare that on your taxes? All right. Let's take a look at the lighter side of the news for uh, some in the U.S., the emergence of billions of red-eyed cicadas. I know you're tired of hearing about these things, but some people are actually living with them. Uh, after 17 years of slumber has been met with um, annoyance, particularly over their loud buzzing calls. But for David Rothenberg, who sees a silver lining in all of this, a professor of philosophy and music at the New Jersey Institute of Technology, it has presented a unique opportunity for collaboration. We're combining human musical ideas with nature's musical ideas, he explained, as he gathered fellow musicians at a nature preserve in Princeton, New Jersey. As cicadas uh, swarmed all around, Rothenberg with his clarinet, hoping they don't, you know, fly up the thing, uh, and others on percussion and saxophone held an improvisational jam using the insect's trill as their guide. And while it may seem like white noise to the uninitiated, Rothenberg said that he could pluck uh, pluck out several distinct sounds produced by three species of cicadas who might have found the instruments accompanying them rather annoying. Well, the author of Bug Music said his fascination with the nature uh, sounds began as a child growing up in Connecticut. His interest is not limited to cicadas. He has also written jazz compositions uh, accompanied by calls of birds and humpback whales. Some people, of course, think I'm crazy, like it's just this gimmick. Uh, but it's serious stuff that nature has inspired humanity and all um, art forms more than anything else. For centuries, so are you gonna buy that album, James? You know, I don't mind this. I certainly don't mind the sound of cicadas, but I think if I was gonna buy anything like that, I liked. I, as a child, I remember liking the white noise aspect of it. So I think I'd see anything else as interference. Yeah, I just would want pure cicada noise. Yeah, yeah. They're probably what's that racket that's being made? I hope that exactly. doesn't show up every seventeen years. Well, a Chinese woman broke her own Guinness World Record when her longest eyelash was measured at a whopping eight inches long. Now, think about that. Eyelash on the face, eight inches. Yeah. Now, I'm seeing people wearing false eyelashes that are about that, and they look rather peculiar, but uh, Jiang Jia, I think that's how you pronounce her name, who originally set the record in June of 2016 when her longest lash was 4.88 inches long, said doctors are unsure why her eyelashes grow to be so long. 
I first realized that my eyelashes were growing in 2015. They continue to grow slowly, becoming longer and longer, she told Guinness World Records. I did visit medical professionals to find out why my eyelashes are longer than other people's eyelashes. The doctors couldn't explain this, and he felt it was really amazing. I also tried to find scientific reasons, such as genes or something else. However, none of my family have long eyelashes like me, so it can't be explained. Well, Jian Jie uh, her longest lash located on the upper eyelid on her left eye uh, was officially measured at eight inches, setting a new record. Well, that's pretty impressive. Eight inches. And it's only on one eye uh, on the outer lashes, maybe two or three, four lashes on that left side. She could really start some kind of a trend. I mean, you could braid them, I suppose. That'd oh, be interesting. Go. Put a little bow at the end. Uh, <laughs> but. Yeah, I, I think my first reaction, I hate to say it, would be locked down too long. Well, that that could be. Who I mean, knows? You know, a lot of us have kind of let ourselves go just a little bit over the last 15 months. I know I <laughs> sure have. But uh, in fact, I was just I was just saying to my wife yesterday as we look forward to going back to the office here in the not too distant future. I, I said to my wife, does that mean I have to go back to personal hygiene again? <laughs> uh, yes. Let me answer yes. on her behalf yes. and on yes. behalf of all of your coworkers and guests to the station as a resounding yes, please. I beg of you. Yes. Okay. I may have said too much. He stands <laughs> wow. silent. <laughs> wow. Well, wow. you know, we're not used to hibernating, but bears are used to hibernating. And maybe we can learn a little something from them, how they respond when they emerge from that hibernation. In Wilcox, Arizona, a bear there emerged unscathed from um, quite the power trip when it became stuck on a, a utility pole, and I'm not just talking about the top of a um, utility pole, but sort of intertangled with the pole that um, has the, the two pieces that run perpendicular to it or parallel, yeah, perpendicular to it. Well, Sulphur Springs Valley Electric Cooperative, a utility company based in southern Arizona, city of Wilcox, was notified on Monday morning that a bear was tangled in power pole wires on the outskirts of town. Now, a company lineman said that he immediately disabled the power so the animal would get to, would not get electrocuted. And he said that he w then went up um, in a bucket uh, lift and used an eight-foot fiberglass stick to try to nudge the bear to go down. He even tried talking to it. I think I told him I was uh, going to help him get down the pole. The bear didn't seem to understand. I know he couldn't understand me, but it did get his attention. Well, after grabbing the and biting the uh, the stick at times, the bear eventually climbed down and ran off into the desert, which is a good thing. I didn't know bears inhabited the desert, but that's a whole other subject. According to the lineman, there were no injuries in the power outage, which affected residential customers only about 15 minutes. When told the reason for the outage, he said several customers were understanding. This is the second time in a month that a bear has been spotted in southern Arizona City. So you might find yourself wandering after hibernating uh, due to the uh, pandemic. And then there's a bear in Virginia rescued after getting itself stuck in a factory ceiling. It was a Volvo manufacturing plant. Employees were uh, told to stay in the cafeteria during the bear's evacuation. Wildlife uh, will always be free until limitations curb their uh, liberation. A bear managed to somehow get stuck in the ceiling of a Western Virginia manufacturing plant on the 4th of June, according to state wildlife officials. The bear was 20 feet long. No, oh, rather, he was. Tw <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> Just wow. <laughs> 20 feet long. 
called the Guinness people. <laughs> the bear <laughs> was 20 feet up, <laughs> far from the stairs or a ladder. There's <laughs> quite a significant difference between being 20 feet up on the ceiling and being 20 feet long. So I'm glad we clarified that. But after assessing the situation, it was apparent to staff that given the location of the bear, odds were low that it would uh, soon safely leave on its own, according to the Department of Wildlife uh, Resources. Well, considering the plant's production needs, it was decided that the best course of action would be to uh, immobilize the bear and remove it from the area. Well, employees of the uh, Volvo manufacturing plant stayed in the cafeteria during the bear's evacuation. State biologists used a chemical immobilization dart uh, to knock out the bear and then used a plant heavy, uh, the plant's heavy equipment, including a forklift to bring the bear down. I'm not sure that's going to be something we need to look out for once we are liberated from our captivity, uh, that they're going to, you know, we end up wandering off or in places we otherwise would not go. I'm not sure they're going to take uh, immobilization darts. Uh, They've already pretty much immobilized us to the full extent possible already. But just a heads up, um, this is following the hibernation of these bears uh, that I've mentioned who wandered into areas they would not typically be found. So are you concerned, James? I'm more concerned about the 20-foot long bear myself, (laughs) especially after last year with the murder hornets. I'm like, what's going to come after that? I had no idea it'd be 20 feet long bears. (laughs) Otherwise, I probably would have hunkered down even more last year because that's, you know, I Murder hornets, that's pretty bad, but I got to be honest, 20-foot-long bear, that's, oh, boy. I want to go home. Jesus, please come back. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back. (laughs) Oh, brother. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is also joining me as we're looking at the lighter side of the news. Also want to make an announcement at the end of this segment about what's coming up on Monday. Firefighters in Michigan came to the rescue of an unlucky raccoon that ended up with its uh, head stuck through the hole in a sewer cover. The Harrison Township Fire Department said a crew approached the um, critter, responding to a call for assistance from animal control. Um, and responded to an intersection where the raccoon's head was poking through the hole of a sewer was in the middle of, excuse me, the middle of the sewer grate. Well, the firefighters attempted to use soap to lubricate the hole and the raccoon's head, but the animal was still unable to pull free. Well, um, the Lieutenant uh, Lorowski said the firefighters initially planned to cut through the cover and free the animal, but they discovered it was made of cast iron. So that wasn't going to happen. So we didn't want to do that. And, you know, as uh, you cut, the cast iron was getting hot, so we decided not to go that route for the safety of the animal. Well, then he said the crew ended up getting some uh, help from a nearby homeowner. We had the homeowner bring out um, cooking oil, and uh, that was enough to free the animal. We had someone uh, hold the head of uh, uh, kind of, because you don't hold the head of a raccoon easily. And then someone was on the other side uh, pulling the body, and it was able to free itself. The raccoon was determined to be uninjured and released. Just the other day, I was uh, I have a an umbrella in the backyard. It had tipped over, and I was going outside to, to put it right. And I looked, and to my right, and not too uh, distant, was a raccoon, a huge raccoon that I know comes and goes in our backyard quite often it's huge it usually comes at night but this was during the day we locked eyes i was afraid to move he was afraid to move because i'm thinking he has rabies and this is going to be it 
Um, and I hadn't been able to move very quickly in these last few months and uh, wasn't really sure if I was able to run because I, my strength isn't fully back. But I will tell you, Georgine Rice, friend of animals, was able to run from that location rather slowly and clumsily uh, to the deck, uh, freeing myself from the prospect of a ravenous raccoon in my backyard. So you, you need to be careful and um, take these critters very seriously. That's my advice. Was it was it 20 feet long? Is that what you need to tell <laughs> us next? I'd rather not talk about it. Okay. Well, this gator needs to say later to the post office, a person visiting a post office in Florida, reportedly walked into a, well, a startling sight, an alligator hanging out in the lobby. Apparently, the animal had simply walked in through the building's front doors and was doing just that, hanging out. Well, the uh, Hernando County Sheriff's Office posted about the incident on Facebook, writing that it received reports of an alligator in the lobby of a post office around 3.30 in the morning on Wednesday. Well, the post included a photo of the gator, which appeared to be uh, a decently sized animal. It could have been, oh, I don't know, 20 feet long. According to a patron who was uh, attempting to mail a package at the time, really at 3.30 in the morning, uh, the gator was just roaming around the lobby. Apparently, the post office has uh, automatic double doors, uh, which would have been uh, entering the uh, lobby, uh, which made entering the lobby possible for the gator. Well, the sheriff's office wrote that the trapper was uh, called uh, to the scene and that the alligator was safely removed. No injuries were reported. Wow. I'm glad we don't have them here. Raccoons are bad enough. Well, the U.S. Coast Guard in Alaska rescued three people and two dogs who had been floating on an inflatable pink flamingo uh, after strong winds swept their uh, raft onto offshore rocks on Sunday. Now, the story isn't so interesting to me that three people were rescued along with two dogs, but they were out on a pink flamingo. Now, the rescue occurred. Um, Did you uh, say flamingo or flamenco? I'm not sure what I said. They're two very Flamingo. different things, and I figured I should clarify. Flamingo. Okay, that makes Flamingo. way more sense. Yeah, the dance is the flamenco. Is that yes. right? Yes. I don't think they were dancing. I'm not you sure. never know these days. Uh, the uh, rescue occurred in Manashka Bay, which opens up into the Gulf of Alaska near Kodiak. The U.S. Coast Guard uh, said um, in a post on Facebook, well, due to the treacherous conditions uh, the Alaska State Troopers determined a helicopter was needed to hoist the, the trio and two pups to safety. Um, the uh, Jayhawk uh, was deployed and carried them to shore. Well, they, um, uh, they said thank you to every single one of the gentlemen and every Kodiak resident that cared, reported, and made sure we were okay. I will never forget my 30th birthday, said one of the passengers. Holly Spence responded uh, to the post. Uh, when asked if the inflatable pink flamingo, flamingo, go, Made it to a safety. Spence wrote that the state trooper rescued the float. Now, I'm not sure why you would go into that area on such a, a, a vessel, but they did. And thankfully, they survived to tell the tale. Wow. Well, a giant uh, white sculpture of a drone has appeared 25 feet over the Manhattan Highline Park, uh, unnerving New Yorkers, which was the creator's intention. Sam Durant, the artist behind the fiberglass untitled drone, said the work was designed to remind the public that drones and surveillance are a tragic and pervasive presence in daily lives of many living outdoors and within the United States. I should say living outside and within the United States. While the white sculpture of the Predator drone stands out against the blue summer sky, appearing to hover over 10th Avenue and rotating on its pole when pushed by the wind. 
Um, what we want to do with Highline Art is to bring to the public not just beautiful artworks, but also thought-provoking artworks that can generate conversation. The chief curator of the Highline Art, which sponsored Durant's work. California resident Ariella Figueroa uh, said the drone made her think about the future. It's the same technology that we were using in Iraq and Afghanistan 10, 12 years ago that is now handheld and anyone can buy. Uh, it's a little intimidating, a little scary, especially here in New York City, she said. And finally, South Korea, a designer there, has created a third eye for smartphone zombies. The industrial designer has come up with a satirical solution to smartphone zombies who can't um, take their eyes away from their screen long enough to stop themselves walking into a wall or other obstacle. Well, Mr. Piang Min-wook, 28, has developed a robotic eyeball, he's uh, dubbed the third eye, which uh, obsessive mobile phone users can strap to their foreheads so that they can browse injury-free on the go, looking down at their phones while their third eye looks up. And Chinese social media platform WeChat on Thursday published a list of activities and violations it banned in a bid to clean up the live streaming service, including indecent nose-picking and spanking games. So if you are in uh, China or you are connected to WeChat, be fully aware, no nose-picking or spanking is allowed. Well, as I mentioned earlier in the program, I wanted to let you know what's coming up next week. Uh, in my um, interesting travels toward uh, optimum health, I've been told that I need to have my gallbladder removed. Well, since I uh, learned that uh, that was necessary and may have be the explanation for much of the problem I had that started in late December, um, I've learned that just about everybody and their dog has had their gallbladder removed. I'm shocked at how many people have had the procedure done. It's relatively simple. It's a laparoscopic procedure, at least my version of it will be. And it's a day procedure. The expectation is unless they find gallstones somewhere else, and I haven't had them, um, then you uh, you go home later that afternoon. However, it makes it a bit difficult to sit upright for the next day or two. So I'll have the procedure on Monday and will be out of the office, uh, certainly on Tuesday, possibly Wednesday uh, as well. So that's what's coming up. And uh, so we have some programming, I think the best of. In fact, James, maybe you can tell us a little bit of what to expect. Uh, the best of the Georgine Rice Show programming filling in for my absence. So if you wonder where she's gone this time, my latest adventure, my next adventure, I should say, is having my gallbladder removed. I had no idea that, um, you know, I had one and what it did until just now. So that's coming up on Monday. And your prayers are certainly welcome if you think of it, if it crosses your mind. So this is uh, supposed to help bring me back to optimum health sooner. So we're going to go forward with that, and I'm looking forward to it. Any thoughts, James, about uh, next week? Uh, just that uh, you're correct. It'll be the best of the Georgine Rice Show at least Monday and Tuesday, and we'll take it from there, but hope that uh, you're back sooner than later. That's my hope. I've been talking to people, well, everybody who's had gallbladder surgery, and I've gotten mixed answers on how long it takes before you can recover. And the fact that I'm broadcasting from home makes it a little bit easier, uh, and we're not live. We can actually take breaks between segments if necessary to try to uh, to put a show uh, on on a live show on Wednesday. So we'll see what we can do. Uh, in the meantime, I uh, will certainly be back, I hope, on Thursday and we'll look forward to uh, to joining you again. Hey, thanks, James, for uh, joining me for the uh, lighter side of the news and producing the program. My pleasure. Clark Hilton, engineer, Dan Rice. Well, thanks for letting me use your office, Dan Rice. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Up next, we'll um, hear the Christian Outlook with Kevin McCullough. 
Eric Metaxas, and Bob Burney. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.